It's good to see everybody here this morning. It's a wonderful day, man, wonderful time of worship. This morning's going to be a wonderful day, wonderful day. I am so glad that you made it a point to be here. And, and again, you know, the reasons why we come together are numerous, but you see, there, there's something about, again, getting in a community of believers, and you can say community, you can say family, uh, whatever terminology you want to use, but when we come together on Sunday morning, there is a, a anointing on that assembly. And when we worship together, really what we're doing is we're coming together and agreeing by confession of what's coming out of our mouth. That we're all that He says that we are. And, and that He's a loving Father. And I, I don't know about you, but you don't hear that when you go to the gas station. When you're walking around Walmart and somebody says, God says you're all that you can be. Well, hallelujah, I just feel better. In Walmart. You don't feel that way in Walmart. Hopefully you are the one that is speaking life into people's uh, existence. But you know, you know, this morning as we continue this series entitled, You Are an Original. I, I said it with emphasis there for a purpose. Because a lot of people don't believe it. They would be you know, I'm just, I'm just average. And I'm telling you this morning that God has spoken into your life that He has a purpose for you. And you might not be exactly where you think you should be, but you're right on time with God. Now this morning, I want to kind of use this as an illustration. When I went to when I went to Paris, I brought back something. I don't know if they know it's gone yet, but that's another story. That's another story. I, I remember going. You know, the, the Louvre is, is something because, you know, being an American from Texas, I call it the Louvre, you know? And, uh, no, that's the Louvre. Is that better? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's lean back. Now, and let me tell you that, that this is considered the most valuable piece of art on the face of the earth. But let me give you some background if you don't know who this is. In my Texan accent, it's La Girogaganda. Or, as we know her, as Mona Lisa. The, the painter... It was Leonardo da Vinci, and they think that he painted it sometime between 1503 and 1517. He was kind of an unusual guy, as sometimes artists can be. And he painted this, and they don't know for sure if it was a Florentine merchant's wife that had the Florentine merchant had commissioned him to paint his wife, and and then, at, of course, at the end, to give it to the Florentine merchant for a, a piece of art. They don't know if the lady is the merchant's wife or actually Leonardo's mother. Or here's one. Some people think it's actually Leonardo da Vinci. Now, now here's what is amazing. That again, I was reminded when the uh, uh, person, as we, you guys got to wait for my cue. Bang! But when we were walking around the Louvre, It's funny because last year, listen to this, last year, 20 million people went to look at this painting. uh, Three-fourths of them were um, tourists from other countries. And, and, you know, you think, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to look. Yeah, I want to see Mona Lisa because I've heard so much about this painting. And then you get into this room and it, it might be, it's about, maybe twice the size of this sanctuary, something like that. And and you come into this room and there's this huge wall painting that's as big as maybe this whole wall over here and there's paintings in there. But this little painting, she, she is on the very end. 
And everybody is looking at these, but they got kind of out of the corner of their eye. There it is, the Mona Lisa. And then when the people say, if you'll just get in line casually and you'll get a turn to see her, somehow that comes out like, rush to the front and push, 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 push until you get close enough to see her. So even though we have smiles on our face, it's like, quick smile, click, all right, keep going. 20 million visitors last year came to see this painting. Now, a lot of people think that the painting's about this size, you know. But it is, it, it's quite a bit larger than most people think. And, and the, the, the history of it is what's intriguing to me because here is Leonardo da Vinci and he's painted it and he's possibly commissioned to paint it, but he chose not to give it away or to, to sell it. They said that by the time he started painting, he was constantly adding to the painting until his death. And, and it was pretty amazing to know that he would go from one kingdom to the next because a king would commission him to come and do paintings or sculptures or whatever. And he would go to those places and he would always take Mona Lisa with him. On his death, King Charles I of France bought it. Now this is the part that I was like, you've got to be kidding. Because we know so much of the value, but he bought it, added it to the royal collection, and do you know where he kept it? In his bathroom. The history says that his bathroom, of course, would fog up, kind of like our mirrors and stuff in our bathrooms because of the heat of the water, but whatever. And uh, it had a crack, which mine does kind of show that crack. Relax, it's not the original. I see everybody going, click, click. And that crack seemed to be a waste that the, the king had messed up. But since that time, it is the number one way that they have legitimized the Mona Lisa being an original. The title of my message today is, An Original is Priceless. When in... in let me get the date exact. In 1911, the Mona Lisa was stolen. It was very popular and it was very uh, famous, but it never was as famous, they say, until it was stolen. Uh, one of the workers in the Louvre, actually him and a few of his friends, uh, came up with a scheme that they would, in the evening, go when everybody was out of the, the part where it was displayed and they would take the Mona Lisa. They seemed to be very intelligent until they tried to sell it. And they sold it, and a guy came undercover and found out that this guy that was a former worker in the Louvre had hidden it under his bed in a trunk with a false bottom. And when they were talking and they were discussing the price, out came the Mona Lisa. Bang, he was in prison for life. But because it was stolen, it became internationally known and the value in 1962 was around 100 million in 1962 today it would be worth over 800 million dollars but they cannot put a price tag on it now, now here's what's wild is the more that i studied it the more that they said instead of insuring the mona lisa that they have stopped pretty much doing that they have put money in protecting it because every kind of person tries to come and deface it to make their point. There's been protesters that have thrown paint at it. There's been a person that's tried to shoot it and had a bullet hole, I believe, in it one time. And all these different protesters come and try to make sure that everybody can draw attention to them by doing something harmful to the painting. If you go back in time, for a period, there was so many, I mean, almost amazing, almost exactly like the original Mona Lisa's out, that they didn't know for sure which one was original. And they would go back to the crack that was caused by the king of France. 
because of the humidity. So they, they, they wondered, did, did the artist actually paint all these others that were just almost exactly like the Mona Lisa? And they researched and they came up with different theories. And the ones that come closest is that some of the students of Leonardo da Vinci that studied his work and, and went under his mentorship, that they would paint their own Mona Lisa and it would almost be, almost be the exact. But it was not the original. Therefore, it wasn't worth what the original was. Now this morning, as we're in the second week of the series on you, our original, the question that I want you to ask yourself do you feel priceless? Because what will happen is the enemy will come against you to question your identity and your value. And he comes against it. And the, the subject today and the topic that I'm going to talk about is through discouragement in your life. Let me see your hand. If, if you've ever watched the movie, It's Wonderful Life. If you don't have your hand up, I'm not sure you're going to heaven. But anyway. You still have a few weeks of the prime time of Christmas to watch it. And if you've watched that movie, if you haven't, I'm trying not to do a spoiler alert or whatever. But in the movie, if you remember it, that George Bailey is the star, Jimmy Stewart. And, and he's done all these things, but he comes to a place where he's discouraged. And he's ready even to the possibility of contemplating suicide by jumping off the bridge. But luckily, there are friends and there's prayer. And as he's praying and as people, his friends around him in the movie are praying, please help our friend George. And let me tell you, I feel the Holy Spirit in that movie sometimes. I don't know who wrote it or what purpose, but let me tell you, they begin to pray for their friend George. And in the movie, you'll see that it touches heaven. And kind of in the drama, that the, the heavens begin to talk, and, and you go, what in the world? And, and it actually are two angels talking, and, and one of them is the superior angel, and he talks to the less, and I'm not going to tell you the whole plot of the movie, but at the, the end, he says, I want you to go down and earn your wings. And he says, what do I need to do? And he says, you need to help this guy George out, George Bailey. And in the inferior angel says well what happened does he have a disease or is there something bad that's happened to him and the superior angel says no worse than that he is discouraged this morning i want to read a passage of scripture of a group of people that were discouraged i, I want you to look and, and let me just read this to you i, I think out of the niv and then uh, if you'll put that up, this is in verse 4. It says, They set out from Mount Hor along the Red Sea Road, a detour around the land of Edom. They're going to the promised land, and here they go. Look at this. They were encouraged when they left, but it says the people became irritable and cross as they traveled. The King James Version says this, And they're and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the what? Now let me go back to the NIV and finish. It says, they spoke out against God and Moses. Why did you drag us out of Egypt to die in this God-forsaken country? No decent food, no water. We can't stomach this stuff any longer. It says in verse 6, so God sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit them. And made Israel in Israel die, and many in Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. We spoke out against God and you. Pray to God, ask him to take these snakes from us. Moses prayed for the people, and God said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a flagpole. Whoever is bitten and looks at it will live. So Moses made a snake of fiery copper and put it on top of a flagpole, and anyone bitten by a snake, who then looked at the copper snake, lived. It's a peculiar story, but I want you to see some points that will apply to our, our series. In this story, you can see that discouragement can be so deceiving. 
Sometimes if you're a strong temperament, as we've gone through that in Christian education, and you're a strong temperament, sometimes we see uh, discouragement as kind of a weakness. Just pull yourself up with by your own bootstraps. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Quit thinking about it. It's okay. Just get out of bed. Well, let me tell you. Discouragement and, and prolonged discouragement has consequences. It says that God sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them and many in Israel died. I, I believe that in our lives it's almost symbolic of the similarities among discouragement that it opens our soul, our mind, and our will, and our emotions to the enemy. And just like those snakes that came in and slithered in and bit them, and there was devastating consequences that happened to the people. The more that we allow ourselves to stay, can I tell you this? I'm going to say this as many times as there, There's nothing wrong with you if you're discouraged. But we are Christians and we're believers and we're children of the King. And it's our ability to get out of that discouragement and not stay in it. I heard a story that one time I was almost, I, I, you know, you want to say, that's not true. Because it was so horrible. A little boy had gone fishing and he got in a place where he, he found some worms and he went down to the fishing hole and he began to fish. And he never came home and, and his family went to his favorite spot where they knew he would be fishing and he was just minutes from dying. And they asked him, what, what, what happened? And he said, I, I don't know. He said, I, I got a bunch of worms, but they're, they keep biting me. And when the, the father looked around, he realized that the little boy had captured a lot of baby copperheads. We ignore the poisons and the poison effect that discouragement has on a believer's life or on a person's life, period. It says that the people were much discouraged because of the way. And the people became irritable and cross as they traveled. Let me tell you, we, we all know, and if we're old enough to carry money, we've been discouraged in our life. If, if we're to the place where we say, well, I've never been, you've you got to pray that you aren't lying. Because the, 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 so the point of being able to say, you know what? Sometimes my disappointment comes because of my unfulfilled expectations that I had. That they had gone on this trip and they had bought into the promise that we're going from slavery to a promised land. But the way that God said you're going to get there was long and it was going to take time. And they said, you know what? I am tired of the way. And sometimes we get discouraged because of the way it's different than what we expected. Maybe you were dating somebody and, and as a young person and they broke up with you and, and the disappointment and discouragement came because you thought, I thought that we were going to get married. I, I had already planned it. Maybe you've been in a, a job situation where you thought and you had already seen the way that you thought was the best and you're going to get promoted and go from that job and you wouldn't do this job anymore and and times changed and the way wasn't what you expected. And discouragement set in. I think another way is, the, the other reason of discouragement is the why. God, why did you drag us out here in this God-forsaken place? And then the third way is not, the one is why, the way, and then the weight of God. You know, a lot of times we say, you know, God, it, I never thought it would take so long. And again, just like the others, the, the expectations begin to lead into disappointment and discouragement follows and you go, you know, this, this, this just isn't right. Can, can I just give you some things? And, you know, a lot of times when, when I go to my doctor and when the first doctor I had, as I've said many times, he is about 100 years old. 
And let me tell you, there was nothing that he hadn't seen or that I'd ever asked him that he didn't know. He'd, he'd seen so many patients and he, he, he had a technique and he would just go, question one, question two, question three, boom. Here's what we need to do. So this morning, I, I want to show you some consequences that lead out of discouragement. And I want you, and I don't recommend this in your health, but I want you to self-diagnose if you're in discouragement or not. And here's what I know, that in a congregation this size, it's not just you. But in order for you to realize that as a God child, as somebody that is priceless, that you do not begin to compare and try to be a replica of somebody else. As much as this is almost exactly the Mona Lisa, this is worth $10 across the Louvre in a little tour shop. Now, I paid a little bit more for the frames just for you all. Just wanted to say that. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. Discouragement comes when we begin to compare ourselves with other people. I, I want you just for a minute, if you're in this place and you go, oh my, that, that one hits home. I, I want you just for a minute to begin to see where God has brought you right now. You know, because when we're here, we're looking over there, comparing ourselves with other people. We go, if I was just there, if I was just over here, I'd be so much happier. But I'm all the way back here. And I'm not thankful like I know I should be. I don't feel the favor of God upon my soul. It's okay. But in the next few minutes, I want you just, just in the next few minutes to begin to look back on your life of where God has brought you from to where you are now. Look, look, look at your house that you live in. Is it a better house than when you started? Is your car running instead of, you know, pushing it? I remember Gwen and I had a, a van because you got to have a van. You're having a family. So we had a van and it wasn't the greatest van and we had to turn off the air conditioning when we went up that hill over there in Grand Prairie. Lift your legs, Gwen. Lift your legs. We can make it up the hill. Come on now. Begin to see where God has brought you from and, and quit comparing yourself with somebody that, you know, we, we hear and we see our, our culture where children are moving out of the house and they become discouraged early in their married life when they should be walking through the tulips, you know what I mean? But they become discouraged. Why? Because they begin to compare themselves with their parents. Their parents, it took them years to get to this place. You're an original, not a cheap replica. I've been asked to say that again, so I have no problem saying it again. You are an original, not a cheap replica. Amen. Amen. Here, here's a reason. Discouragement comes when we try to force fruit out of season. Now, this, this is something that's going to hit somebody. The Bible says as long as there is earth, there's going to be seed, time, and harvest. See, see, we want to plant the seed and the next day get the harvest. But as long as there's going to be an earth, there's going to be seed, time, don't leave out the time, and then the harvest. The day that you get excited that you're going to have a child and the doctor says, lady, you're pregnant. They give you a due date. <laughs> I heard an amen back in the Brazil section back there. They give her a due date. There, there is an expectation, but it's coming on the due date. The Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But it's so hard to wait in our culture especially if there's any uncomfortable situation going on while we wait. And most of the time, we make it uncomfortable because we don't like to wait. Let 
When discouragement comes, there is a loss of vision. When you go through a semester of waiting and, and you feel it stretching and stretching your capacity, your vision can become blurry of what God has placed in your heart and what you were going, going for and shooting for and saying, God, I believe you by faith for this. You know, next year, one of our themes is going to be 2020 vision. Huh? Yeah, yeah. That that was Lisa Cruz's idea. She's not here, so it's this guy right here. It's taking on the... So where's the camera? If, if, if Lisa's watching on FaceTime, sorry. <laughs> Lisa had some other responsibilities today, and she'll be back next week. We love her. Is that enough? Did I cover that up good enough? Okay, we'll keep going. Next year's 2020. But if you are in a point of discouragement and you know you feel that loss of vision and you go, you know, God, what am I doing here? Where am I going? And sometimes just like they became irritated, you begin to go, you know what? I just feel like I can't even. And it's not that I'm so depressed I can't get out of bed, but I don't have any purpose to get out of bed. It's it's that lack of vision. You might have discouragement coming into your life or it might be firmly taking hold of your life. When you stop and start thinking about maybe someone at work saying, have you planned for your 2020 calendar? And you go, I'll do that later. It could be a lack of vision due to the, the ability of discouragement in your, in your life. And a lot of times what I find out, if, if when I go through discouragement, I, I do the time management, you know, the things that you always are supposed to do, the things that are uh, urgent and then the things that are important first. But if you're good at time management, you'll get into the things that are important, but they're not urgent because you've already planned ahead. But when you go through discouragement, if you're not careful, you stay in the area of not urgent and not important. You stay on Facebook. You stay on trivia stuff. Things that won't matter in a few weeks. Why? Because the discouragement has come a hold of you and you're starting to think, you know what, all I can do mentally is just stay right here. I read on somebody's Facebook post, as I, I mentioned Facebook, and it said this, next week has been exhausting. That's what I'm talking about. If you're going through discouragement, what I, what I realize is there's a loss of enthusiasm. A, a loss of get up, and, and your get up is gone. And, and you just go, you know what, I, I just don't feel like I even want to go. You know, I, I call it the law of the first step, and I told my children this because my dad told me this. is the hardest thing in a project is the first step. Because your mind begins to play all these tricks of going, you don't have to go, you don't have to do that. If we can just take the first step, but so many times we lose the enthusiasm of the project or what God has for us in our life. And if you don't take the first step, the dream don't work. You know that. And when you think about it, to be discouraged is to be without courage. And here's the negative thing about it. It creates, being discouraged creates a coward in people. Loss of aggression. It's a wounded self-love. And you go, Do, are we supposed to have self-love? Love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of people don't love each other because they don't love themselves. They're so discouraged. There, there's people in a church for years that love the church because they've been encouraged, 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 encouraged. And all of a sudden, they feel like, well, nobody's encouraging me anymore. So I'm going to go to another church. Hear me. It's not our place as believers to stay in a place where we just constantly have to be encouraged. But we then turn and minister to other people and encourage them. And here's what I found out, and it'll be one of my points later, is that when we encourage somebody, we can be encouraged. Come on, you faced that before. 
I remember one time that a, a multimillionaire, the story was that he got so discouraged, he was almost ready to commit suicide. And his counselor said, here's what I propose for you to do. I want you to go down and for a week work at the soup kitchen. And he was like, what? What kind of quack are you that you would want me to solve my discouragement problems by feeding the homeless? But he did it. And what happened was he began to see what he had missed in his life of being blessed in areas and not having the excitement of what God had already blessed him with. Discouragement comes and there is a form of isolation that happens. Now, now let me say this. Isolation, when, when you want to be by yourself, and, and we've heard this, if, you, if you've been in the church a while, we know that when the predator comes on the herd, he always singles out one to get away from the herd. Has anybody ever seen those natural, you know, those geographical movies? And they're the wild, uh, not the wild beast, but they're like the water buffalo. And these guys are like 2,000, 2,500 pounds and they're big. But if, if a lion can get one of them away from the herd, he can kill it. And then usually the other lions come and help take it down. But have you ever seen one of those that the lion did get it away from the herd far enough? And the herd begins to go, don't think so today. And all these water buffaloes that weigh huge amounts of weight, you know, and they're, they're kind of mean, they come over and they attack the lion. Anybody ever seen that? It is amazing to me how the herd came around that one that was being attacked and said, no, sir, we're not going to have that. One of the videos that I watched just the other day is the water buffalo got his horn underneath the lion and flipped it. I mean, it could have been a thousand feet up. I mean, the lion looked like he just kept going. Now, what happened when the lion came down? Did he go back to attacking? <laughs> he was out of there. Isolation. Anytime the enemy wants to isolate you, he's trying to devastate you. Now, now let me talk to the person that, that you have to understand before you get there. When you feel like isolation is for you, I, I just want to stay home from church. That's a, that's a red flag. When you want to come to church the least, that's the day that you go, there's nothing on this green earth that's going to keep me from going to church. If I can just drag myself down there, I don't care how it, I have a four flat tires, I guess I'm hoofing it. I am not going to keep away from church. The enemy is trying to isolate me. And, and here's what happens is a lot of times as a married couple, I've realized that just because you're married doesn't mean, you know, because misery loves company. Come on now. And, and the husband can be going through discouragement and he can be And the wife can become discouraged. And both of them can have misery loves company being isolated by themselves. Let me just speak to that. Husbands, if your wives are discouraged, suck it up. Wives, come on. It's time for one of you to get into the Word of God and go, no, 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 no. And begin speaking life into the other one. Because it feels so right to be isolated, but it's so wrong. Don't separate yourself from the church and from other believers. Because isolation... Have you ever realized that too much analysis leads to paralysis? And it's the same thing when discouragement comes, you begin to play into it. Now, if you're a temperament, more of the, the melancholy or the maybe even the cleric when you want to analyze so much, and when you go through discouragement, you begin to go, you know what, it's just better if I don't do anything because I can't make a decision. And what happens is paralysis wants to halt your advancement. Last week we talked about the sabotage of the box and how the enemy wants to sabotage any advancement or halt any advancement in your life. That's what discouragement does. 
You stay right where you're at. Do you know in the story of Elijah, I, I, I love the story about Elijah calling down fire on the altar and you know challenging the, the prophets of Baal and they couldn't call down fire. But right before that, Elijah says, how long, people, will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve God. But what happens is when discouragement comes in, we begin to question, did God really say that in my life? And if he didn't say it, maybe maybe I should do this. And maybe and the enemy's tactic is to isolate you and put you in a place where you have nobody speaking into your life. Another thing is discouragement will do is it'll cause and will affect your speech. I've seen this. So many times. A a reading on the emotional gauge of your life. You know, sometimes you think your car's running smooth, but the check engine light comes on. There's a problem. One time I told you because my English teacher, professor, doctor in in college said that one of his doctor uh, friends was a genius. But his check engine light came on on his car and he got so annoyed with that red light, he put tape over it. Genius. See, see that, that sounds so crazy, but what happens is it begins to affect our speech and we're hearing the gauge, we're seeing people look at us go, you need to check your gauges. But our speech becomes slurred with negativism, criticism, impossibility. Then then it leads to no hope. And what's happening is what's coming out of the mouth is because of what's in the heart, what's inside. It's discouragement. You know the story of the 12 spies that go in to, to spy out the land and they come back to give a report. Ten of them said we can't. Two of them said we can't. It's when the only time in the Bible that both were right. They were self-prophesying. We can't do it. You know, all the babies that I've dedicated and all the new babies, I don't I know how man, just it seems like how many Joshua and Caleb's there are, right? But you know why they don't name them after the ten spies that negative? Because we don't we're not gonna put that on our children of all the can't do's, you know? The non believer. We'll never do that. I'll tell you what, we're, we're, we're doers. We're Americans. We're Americans, not Americans, okay? Yes, I love that. You can write that one down. It's not original. The Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. Well, I, I don't feel strong. The Bible didn't say, how do you feel? Say that. The Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. Can you say this morning, I am strong. Say it again, I am strong. There's something about confession that comes out of our mouth. And it's the same thing with negative speech that comes out of our mouth. Again, we need to stand up and say, I am not what the enemy is saying over my life. I will not speak that. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord, not his circumstances. If you know that story, his men are about ready to stone him. And David gets by himself and encourages himself in the Lord. And the Bible gives the date. Let me say it again. God gives David a vision of what to do next. And he encourages himself by confessing what God said over his life. I I want you to do that. I want you to confess this. Nothing I'm going through is greater than my God. Just just watch your feelings rise up. Watch what happens. It's almost like going to a service station and putting gas in the car and all of a sudden you go, I can make it now. I want you to confess, but also watch yourself. Nothing I'm going through is greater than my God. Ready? Nothing I'm going through is greater than my God. Say it again. Nothing I'm going through is greater than my God. One more time. Nothing I'm going through. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28, we're talking about 
blessings and prosperity and being generous in our Christian education, the Bible says that as a believer, as we're in covenant with God, that we will not be the tail, but we'll be the head. That we're going over and not under. That even though there's times when we go through discouragement, there is nobody greater than Jehovah, my God. Let me tell you, I, I want to just let go and get going here, but let, let me say here, discouragement is not something to minimize. Can, can you believe that as you minimize it, it's not going to go away? I, I want to encourage you to call a Christian counselor. There, there is nothing wrong with getting a friend or a counselor and saying, I am discouraged. It's something as our culture is that you don't go, hey, today when you're walking, how are you doing? Well, I'm discouraged. I'm about ready to quit. We just don't do that. And I'm, I'm glad you don't do that. But at the same time, you don't stay in that discouragement and put up a facade and say, I'm, I'm okay. That we get to the place that we get help. Ask for help. We all go through it. And somebody said that either we're going into a storm or we're in a storm or we're coming out of a storm. We know that our world is not perfect. But we know that God is with us every step of the way. And when we go through discouragement, sometimes our, our eyes become blinded to the fact that we need help. Elijah, even the prophet of God, probably one of the most amazing prophets in the Bible, got to a place of discouragement out of his, after his biggest success or victory to the place where he comes down and he lays under a tree and says, God, take my life. Now, now watch this. I, I want to start bringing this to conclusion. God tells Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come out of the cave of that discouragement. And what I want you to do is I want you to go and use your anointing to anoint somebody else. And just like what we said a minute ago, you have an anointing on your life to do things that you might have taken for granted. Some of you are great in, in uh, mechanics or, or technology. Some of you have... The, the gift and the anointing on your life of hosting, maybe even a dinner party, ladies. And you go, how in the world is God going to use that? Have someone over that you know that needs encouragement in their life. We're in a culture that you have very rarely have people over your house anymore to eat. I grew up in a world that my mother was constantly having people over, which means then they would have us over. If you don't feel comfortable with that, then take somebody out to eat. And say, I just want to spend Sunday afternoon and why don't we go out to lunch? And as you use that anointing on your life of encouragement, you watch how that will come back and begin to lift you out of sometimes the dark days. I think about the discouragement in John the Baptist. Here he is, the guy that uh, said, behold, the Lamb of God. I mean, he's actually the one that's calling Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Months later, he's in the, the, the prison of Herod. And we don't know all the things that he's gone through, but we do know that he's in a discouraging place. And he goes from actually declaring Jesus as God to sending his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? And you go, and Jesus could have said, am I the one? You're the one that said I'm the one. See, the discouraging times in our life begins a, a process in our life that the enemy comes in just like those snakes and begin to slither in our mind and our will and our emotions and begins to question if we are actually an original or not. If we are God's children, if our salvation really is true, is all of the things that the Bible says really for me? Oh, they might be for Pastor John or the you know somebody else, but for me. And this morning, 
if you're in that place, if you're so discouraged that you begin to question your calling on your life, the love of God for you in your life, maybe even to the place where you question the Word of God being true, I encourage you to help somebody else. Not to isolate yourself. But here's what I want you to do that's an immediate, practical thing. The Bible says in this story where they were traveling and they were discouraged and the snakes came in and and had consequences of what they were saying out of their mouth. Moses prayed for the people, it says. And then God said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a flagpole. Whoever's bitten and looks at it will live. The Bible says, or if you'll study that, that is the similarity of actually now in the New Testament when Jesus said in John 12, 32, He says this, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to me myself. He said this to show the kind of death He was going to die. So here's what I want you to do. As we're going through this series, and I'm trying to again to remind you that you're an original, that God has created you. He loves you. He's a loving Father. You're all that He says that you are. And to come against the spirit of discouragement, here's what I want you to do. We have to look up. We have to look up and not into our circumstances. We have to look up and we have to lift Him up. We have to praise Him. See, we, we if we're not careful, we begin to look down and we get shook up. We begin to look at the circumstance. They become real. They become, actually they're not and we worry about things that never are true. But here's what I want. The enemy understands And he's really not even, I don't think that in my life that he's even that upset if I believe that God in my past has done something to bring me out. And I don't think he's even that aggressive on saying that one day somewhere out there that I might win. But he attacks my present right here, right now, into saying it'll never be any different than right here where you're at. He's not going to be faithful to me now. So here's one more thing before we end. If you're going through a tough time and discouragement, and maybe this morning it is you and your husband or you and your wife, it might be your whole family, and it's hard for you to see the joy of the Lord or the favor of God working on your life. You have a tendency to magnetize to all the negative things that are happening around you. Here's what I need you to understand and need to hold on to. You're not going to feel it until you begin to act upon it. And I want you to say, and we're going to confess this in a minute. That time, how many people have had one of those times? That time when God has brought you through. This time, and every time, God will not fail me. That time, He was faithful to me. He did not forsake me. He did not forget me. He will do that this time. And every time, my God will be faithful to me. Will you say that? Let's say it. That time, this time, and every time, God will not fail me. Say it again one more time. I want you to write it down. I want you to confess it as you leave the place, as you get up in the morning, as you get to Wednesday and you go, it's humped. Say it again until it becomes real in your life. Ready? That time, this time, and every time, God will never fail you. Let's pray. God, you're such a loving Father. And God, you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And God, today we confess that out of our mouth, 
even though sometimes we don't feel it, we don't see it, we don't taste it, we don't touch it, we don't smell it. God, we are going to stand on Your Word that time, this time, and every time. You will not forsake us. You will not forget us. You will not leave us. And Father, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I, I pray this morning for the, the mother that God is discouraged because of her children. They're not acting. They're not doing the things that they've been taught. I come against that discouragement. And Father, I pray right now that the joy of the Lord that is our strength will enter into that mother this morning. And Father, that she will begin to walk in another perspective than the discouraging perspective that she's in as she came to this place. That she will leave another way. Father, I come against the discouraging spirit on that gentleman that's here today that is fighting against the thoughts of his life not being fruitful, not being what he thought it was going to be. But God, I come against that spirit of comparing, come against that spirit of lack, that emotional being of not being right all the time. God, I come against the spirit and the discouraging spirit of the midlife crisis. God, I know that You're there to pick us up in discouraging times. And we choose to walk in Your love and Your Word. And sometimes, God, I know that it is not, it's not easy. But God, we know that You're with us. And God, we pray this morning that You would make that more evident than ever before in our lives. In Your name we pray. Amen.